ESG has exploded into compliance and business consciousness. Join Tom Fox, the voice of compliance, on the ESG Report and learn about sustainability risks, opportunities, and issues that business leaders and compliance professionals need to know about regarding ESG. Hello, everyone. This is Tom Fox, back for another episode, and I'm absolutely thrilled today to have Trevor Bronson. Trevor, first of all, welcome, and thank you so much for coming on the pod. Yeah, pleasure's all mine. Thanks for having me, Tom. Trevor, Trevor, could you tell us a little bit about your academic and professional background? That's uh, that's an easy one for me to answer and an interesting one, I hope, for the listeners. Uh, sure. So my academic background is environment is in environmental health, safety, and sustainability management. I actually went into school completely undecided, wasn't sure what I wanted to do. Uh, I went to an engineering school, thought I might want to do any type of engineering as I liked math and science and physics and all that good stuff in high school, but none of them captured my curiosity to the point where I wanted to spend a full four-year college tuition on them. So I kept searching, uh, ended up wanting to do something kind of on the sustainability side of things. This led me down the path of environment, health, safety, and sustainability, truthfully something I knew a little bit about at the time, but uh, something that really captured me and, and something I, I loved and I'm happy I majored in and this propelled me to my career thus far. So with that said, background in environment, health, safety, and sustainability, my uh, professional experience up to this point has been working a handful of practitioner jobs in the EHS world. So I've been a EHS practitioner at a utility company at an automotive manufacturer and at a chemicals manufacturing company. I've been an analyst in the EHS technology space where I was really exposed to the application of various kinds of technology to achieve a variety of EHS outcomes, whether that be basic compliance, whether that be risk mitigation, whether that be an industry leader in EHS metrics and all that. Uh, whether that be ESG management, carbon management. And now I'm uh, coming up on five years here at Intellex, uh, EHS software company. It serves 1,400 customers globally, doing strategy work and product development work for them, helping us solve our customers' pain points a little bit better. So I'm always intrigued by people, I don't want to say who are ahead of the curve, but with your academic background, you're uniquely suited to move into this arena. Uh, for my sins, I'm a recovering trial lawyer. And so I was, uh, and I did catastrophic plant explosions in the Gulf Coast region. So oh, wow. I'm very attuned to safety and health, more from the safety aspect. And uh, so that in and of itself intrigues me. But how did that really lead to your current position? Yeah, I mean, it, it, when I got started in environment health safety at college, I really didn't know that this whole technology side of this world existed. The track was meant to be an EHS professional and practitioner, ones I'm sure you've dealt with in your time as a trial lawyer, meaning you're an EHS coordinator, then manager, then director, then vice president overseeing the operations, compliance, and risk management of a dirty and dangerous industry, a oil and gas producer, an automotive manufacturer, or a utilities company, whatever. Um, then I ended up on the analyst side of things kind of by chance, and my eyes were open to this world of software that serves this segment. Now, this isn't going to be the same for everyone, right? Everyone has their own paths. Everyone has their own likes. Everyone has their own things that they want to get out of the professional career. But for me, software was a little more interesting, a little more dynamic, a little more fast paced. But my background in being that practitioner and knowing, you know, spending a lot of time learning how to actually manage the thing that the software companies work to help you manage 
I think really gave me an advantage in terms of my ability to provide value at a software company and has given me a huge advantage over my over the course of my career thus far. And just being able to empathize with the end user, right? That's something I actually say a lot internally is the best product is built from people that have the best ability to empathize with the people that are ultimately using it. And I think that's served me really well up to this point. Uh, let me use a phrase that I often use. It's all about the UX. And man, you just said that. Exactly. Brilliant. It's all about the user experience and whether it's empathy, whether it's being one of them, whether it's your people talking to my people, it's all about the user experience. And when you can bring that user experience into, if not the development, at least how it's uh, deployed, you are so far ahead of the crowd. So kudos. that's right. Yeah, it makes such, I mean, for example, you know, short, short little anecdote here. A couple weeks ago, uh, we were out in Salt Lake City or about three hours south of Salt Lake City to be more exact, visiting a client of ours called Major Drilling. And it's one thing to sit in our office and, you know, do these, these video calls and whatnot and try to figure out how a mobile application should work and get a basic understanding of the, the tasks being executed and the workflow and the buttons you click and all that. Going up to 11,000 feet in the mountains to a gold mine that's barely on the edge of service, seeing how they use the mobile app when they're dirty and filthy and tired and their fingers are cold and what it really means to them in terms of them using that application and how it fits into the their actual workday. Because remember, Intellex is a tool to help someone achieve a different job. Intellex isn't their job. Their job is up there to go discover gold in this case. Intellex is kind of a step to mitigate risk in that process. So to really be able to see how they use it on a day-to-day not in the cozy confines of an office, but again, in the in the blistering wind and cold next to a mountain. Um, yeah, it just, it makes all the difference in the world and, and doing better for them. Uh, I interviewed someone earlier this week and they used almost that example, but they talked about people coming out of mines and having used the smartphone and they couldn't get their fingers um, to work on the smartphone keyboard. And you just said that, and that sort of practical experience of my finger's too cold. It won't heat up the, uh, smartphone. Yeah. Um, that's, that's absolutely spot on. Um, you had a series of interesting questions I wanted to maybe explore with you. And perhaps the most interesting is the following. What is ESG? And I think I know the answer to that, but what do you, where do you see it evolving? Yeah, that's a, that is a good question. I think, I think it's one that we all sort of know, but at the same time, no one really knows. Um, so ESG at its core, environment, social and governance, that's the acronym. What it's meant to imply or stand for are the activities that an organization does um, and the data that they report on in terms of their impact to the environment around them and the impact that their operations cause on the environment. It's reporting and managing the data around how you impact the community, that's the S, the social part of um, your, your business, whether that be internally, how your employees react and how they respond and your equity and your, your pay structure and all that, or you're a mining company and you're having a massive impact on some sort of indigenous or local community, you want to understand how you're impacting them. And finally, that G part is governance, kind of the part that's been around since business has been around because you have to have governance to run a business. Now you can have good and bad governance, don't get me wrong, but the, the idea of managing governance is pretty tried and true. So in that sense, ESG is the concept of reporting on these things and then letting people use what you report to make decisions, whether they be investment decisions 
whether they be, do I want to come and work at this company decisions, whether they be, do I feel like I want to buy from this company because they're doing good things for the environment and the, the world around me decisions. That's, that's the point, right? And ESG has been around for a long time. It's a kind of a new trend and a new fad and everyone's throwing the acronym around, but it's existed in many forms. It's, um, it's been corporate social responsibility. It's been the triple bottom line. It's been good old fashioned environmental sustainability. The reason that it's getting so much traction today is because historically those different names it was called, they were, this sounds worse than it is, but they were for lack of a better word, marketing exercises. It was all about you putting out into the world, into the ethos, what you were doing to be a responsible business, how you were really impacting things for good and not having this horrific negative impact on the world around you. And that's great and all, but no one fact checked that or use that to make maybe a, a decision on to fine your company or to legally penalize your company. It was, it was marketing, right? If you're going to put statements out there that no one cares if they're true or false, you know, what, what does that mean? The reason that ESG now is such a big thing is because there's all these regulations coming out from governments, you know, from the U S from the EU, from governments around the globe saying, look, we expect you to report on this data. We expect it to be accurate. We expect it to be auditable and we expect it to be all of those things because people are increasingly using it to make decisions off. The same reason you can't, you know, give a BS report on your 10K as a, as a public company in the U.S. is because if you lie about those numbers and someone makes decisions off those numbers, that's bad, that's bad for everyone involved and you'll get penalized. ESG metrics are, are being now exposed to that same level of scrutiny, meaning that there's regulations around how legitimate they have to be. And because there are these new regulations, because people have to take this ESG reporting more seriously, you're seeing all this, this buzz around it. Now, that's answer to part one of your question. What is ESG and kind of why are we talking about it so much? What does the future hold for ESG? If, if I knew that, I would make sure to start a business right now to capture all that opportunity and become a very, very rich man. But I don't know. I have a good idea though, a very educated guess. Um, it's going to increase in its scope in terms of what you report on. Uh, and the people that use those numbers to make decisions or, or the, the number of stakeholders is going to grow. But what's going to change is who you report to and how you report. Right now, there are a lot of different reporting frameworks and regulatory agencies and standards bodies that may be coming for that data. And it may be private entities too, like ESG ratings providers that are coming for that data. You're going to increasingly see standardization in how you report and what, what numbers can be out there because right now it's such a bear. It is such a bear to capture all of the metrics that go into ESG because it's so, so broad. It's so everything on environment, it's social, which is kind of an ill-defined thing and it's governance, which is what is governance? That's just how to run a business. So it's going to evolve in that sense, but you'll see probably some more standardization on what you're reporting to. And basically you'll get more mileage out of the numbers you collect because they'll be able to go to this body and this standard entity and this regulatory agency and this stakeholder. So it's going to continue to evolve and change and the regulations will be dynamic, but I can say pretty much for certain the idea that increased transparency of a business, which really is what ESG is, right? Reporting on non-financial metrics, increased transparency of a business is only going to go one direction. And that's, people are going to demand more of it. Uh, in another podcast yesterday, uh, my guests, uh, we were talking about the lack of ESG frameworks in the United States, as opposed to the EU or other domiciles. And her response was, I don't care. Put a framework in place now. Uh, it may not be perfect. The U.S. may look in a different direction, but you've got to put something in place now. And her point was, it's not for the government. It's exactly the point you raised. It's for your investors. 
It's for your bankers. It's for your insurers. It's for your employees, your potential employees, your customers. It may be for even other stakeholders. But the point is to have something now, have it auditable and have it uh, with transparency because a large number of stakeholders are going to come knocking, not including the government yet. But if the government comes knocking, you obviously have to have something in place for them. Would that that be a, if someone a company came to you now? Would you suggest they put a framework in place they can at least begin collecting the data and reporting it to non-governmental stakeholders? Yeah, absolutely, and that's a great point. If you think, I mean, you, you touched on that just there, right? The if you look at why the SEC exists as a as an entity as a concept, it's to protect investors first and foremost because investors rely on this data, and that's exactly it. There are just more people relying on this data, so it better be good data. That's that's the buzz in ESG in so many words. Thinking about a framework, what you're going to have to report, yeah, there's there's a bunch of different frameworks in some areas. There's not many. But they do all have commonalities and people understand the gist, the general themes of ESG. So if you happen to be in an area or your business is in a such a revenue band or whatever, where you're not exposed to a framework just yet and maybe won't be in the near term, and I would encourage people to look at what they may or may not be exposed to in the near term, because most businesses have something coming down the line. Most of them do. So it's, it's smart to be aware of that. But if for whatever reason you don't or you're not sure, look at what metrics and uh, KPIs and questions, qualitative or quantitative, that these more common frameworks are asking for. So TSF, TCFD is a big one. ISSB is a big one. You can look at what the SEC may do when it comes to climate, and it looks like they're going to take uh, a lot. They're going to they were already going to borrow a lot from TCFD. They're, they're going to borrow a bit from CSRD, the new big one in the EU. And California just came out with a rule earlier this year. Now it looks like they're going to borrow from that one too. So you can take kind of guidance on what's actually coming and get a good idea and make sure you're generally prepared. But even more than that, think about what your stakeholders are asking for. Are you doing this to appease a regulatory body? Are you doing this to attract new talent? Do you want ESG to be part of your kind of corporate value proposition and it's a differentiator in a competitive environment? Think about those stakeholders that you're doing this for. Think about what they want. Think about how they want it. And once you have those questions answered, you can kind of build the ESG program that is perfectly fit for your needs. Because as you just mentioned there, Tom, at the end of the day, it's about stakeholders. There are a bunch of them, but it's always going to be about them. Figure out what they're after and make sure they have it. Make sure it's easy to, for them to get to. Make sure it's legitimate, verifiable data. And then you're doing a great job. Uh, the example I like to give is I still do legal work for small companies who do work in the Texas petrochemical industry. So subcontractors who go into plants, $100 million, $150 million. They may be plant cleaning, they may be pipe cleaning, they may be doing small uh, variety of tasks. And even those companies now are contractually obligated to report their ESG findings to the Exxons, to the Phillips 66, to the the plant owners. And that tells me it's not the SEC driving this. It's other businesses that are driving this. And I, I can't yeah. explain what is driving Exxon, but I can tell you Exxon contractors are being driven by Exxon. Is that something That's you're seeing as well? 100%. I mean, these bigger companies, the companies that are hiring these contractors, subcontractors, they know they're going to be asked about this data in one form or another. And for them to have good insight into what's happening, they need to know everything that's happening. And these, especially these dirty, dangerous industries, they rely a lot on a, on a contracted workforce. So for them to have total visibility into the 
ESG of it all, they're going to need to ask their suppliers, their contractors, they're going to need to know what's going on with their subcontractors. So when you're going to hire onboard a contractor, you basically put it in the RFP, you put it in the requirement, the, the you know statement of work. You say, look, we have to have this data from you. You need to be able to produce this. You need to be, a, be able to show me that you're doing well by all these metrics or have accounted for these things. So we can tell other people that we vetted you to make sure you're doing it. We don't want someone coming on our plant doing something horribly wrong. You know, a contractor comes in and God forbid, it's another Deepwater Horizon situation. The headline reads BP. It doesn't read BP's four layer down contractor. So you need to make sure that you are accounting for all of these things. So to not be able to produce that data when you're in a competitive bid situation, it puts you at a serious competitive disadvantage because companies are asking for this now and will only continue to ask for it more and more. Assuming a company moves towards putting a framework in place, what technology exists to help them manage that framework, whatever framework they might choose? Yeah, so there's a number of technologies that exist to cater to this emerging ESG segment. So first and foremost, you want to set up your program and you want to be able to manage the program. ESG reporting is a big part of ESG right now. That's maybe the biggest part that people are scrambling to do. So there's a number of software technologies out there that can help you get all your ducks in a row, make sure your data is in the right format and prepare to go out to whoever it needs to go out to, whether that be a regulatory body, whether it going to the sustainability page on your website, what have you, technology exists to do that. But the thing I stress to, to folks I talk to is that you report on your ESU metrics for the year, and that's great. Hey, pat on the back, everyone. We did 30% uh, less carbon emissions. You know, Our employees were 25% safer. We had 25% fewer incidents, and we contributed um, 2,000 more people hours than we did last year to philanthropic causes. That's, that's all great. But actually doing all of that stuff is the result of executing 10,000 tasks across 1,000 different locations, giving them to 15,000 people and making sure they were done on time. Oh, and by the way, 5,000 of those people left throughout the course of the year because your workforce is very transient. To actually deliver on the ESG goals that you state publicly and you know pound your chest over and are really proud of, that's, that's just task management. That's implementing a management system. So that's one thing Intellex does really well is facilitate the actual allow you to operationalize ESG, if you will. It's one thing to have a number up there. It's another thing to do it and improve it and make sure the numbers you report are looking better every year. So you want to rely on management system and workflow technologies like Intellects to get that done. But then there's a bunch of other parts of ESG, right? There's materiality assessments. So that's assessing what's important to your stakeholders when it comes to ESG and assessing how your operations impact the environment at large understanding how the, the, the environment at large and the way that changes, for example, higher temperatures, higher sea levels impact your own operations. There's technology out there that helps you do those materiality assessments, like a, like a data moran, for example, that kind of combs the web and sees what's gonna impact you, what people are talking about, so you know what to care about, you automatically know what your stakeholders are thinking about. There's plenty of other technologies, which historically haven't been ESG technologies, but now are ESG technologies like HR and human capital management systems that attract your employee makeup uh, and your payroll. There's um, general risk management programs that have existed for a long time to help control your governance that now you're needing data from those to pull into what you report on when it comes to ESG. So I could go on for a long time about this, but the point being, there's a lot of really important technologies when it comes to ESG, making sure you have that foundational technology that allows you to actually manage ESG is core, 
the rest of the technologies, the factor into the, the ESG tech stack, we like to call it, are the technologies that enable you to gather that data that's going to be relevant in your ESG reports. And that data, if people haven't gotten this already, is varied and significant in its amount. Trevor, are there any AI tools that IntelliX is either utilizing in its ESG solutions or considering uh, incorporating down the road? Yeah, that's a that's a great question, Tom. So absolutely, we're always thinking about how you can be at the forefront of using AI. You know, we all are. I think even in our daily lives to make this easier. The big there's two big use cases I'll talk about. One within Intellex is using AI and natural language processing to better understand what regulations are actually important to your organization. So a significant amount of text exists out there, and a significant more uh, significant more text is created every day. Um, that's basically guiding you on what's relevant and applicable to you. We talked about this at the beginning of our, our chat today. So using AI tools to basically aggregate, analyze, kind of contextualize that data so you don't have to spend 16 hours staring at your computer in the depths of the internet to figure out what's coming, kind of be produced for you. And then you can figure out how to manage that from there. That's something that, that we look at and the industry continues to look at. And then two, I, I mentioned it a little bit there, Data Moran, which is an intellect's partner, allows you to assess that materiality of, of sustainability and ESG topics to your organization. Historically, that would be done by hiring a consultant, for example, having them come in, maybe they run a survey, maybe they uh, do a really big assessment in terms of what people are talking about, what your peers have put in their sustainability reports, things like that. Datamaran does this by just crawling the web automatically and bringing in the relevant information, synthesizing it to you in a digestible way. And more importantly than that, that's all great. But the thing that, that is the real hook here is they can do that over time. So with the click of a button, you can get what's material to you. And then a quarter from then, you can click that same button and you can get how those topics have changed in importance. Maybe some are more important, maybe some are less important, maybe there's a new regulation. Again, historically, that's that's the job of a consultant and it costs well north of a million dollars. Um, so it's really cool to be able to just synthesize information better so you can action on it. I think that's the core use of AI and ESG right now. Trevor, when you are talking to a customer, client, or potential customer or client around the use of technology, and perhaps even AI, are you sitting across the table from the head of sustainability, the chief compliance officer, a CISO, a board of director, all of the above, perhaps none of the above? <laughs> yeah, that that is the question of the day, really. And that's actually a really big thing that people are grappling with right now. Everyone's kind of understanding what ESG is and what it is and what kind of metrics it really entails. But figuring out the best way to actually management and how to set up the management structure of the organizations of that is a problem. I was at a, a conference a couple of months ago with, um, it's called NACD, and it's basically board directors and board members that sit there and talk about board topics. And a huge topic of conversation was how the heck we structure our ESG governance oversight committees and boards and who's actually responsible for this. Sometimes it's chief sustainability officers, sometimes it's corporate communications. Do you want it to be a board of directors topic? Do you want it to be kind of done in committee that's just fed up to the board? Who actually oversees it? So to answer your question, when we're having these conversations, it's a real litany of people. The operational, the operational people are the EHS people, are the HR people, are the finance people, but the actual managers of this, the people that I think are really going to own this when it's all said and done, are the same people that have oversight over your financial disclosures. So a lot of time that's general counsel, that's people like that. Uh, and that's because 
tying this back to the beginning, the reason that ESG is such a hot topic right now is because it's starting to get the same level of scrutiny that financial disclosures have historically received. So it makes a lot of sense for it to be managed in a similar way that those things are already managed. But truthfully, it's a it's it's magma right now. It's it's you know it's still kind of boiling. It's just starting to become lava, but it's certainly not solidified into rock. The best way to do this. So I encourage everyone to to look to their peers, to look to best practice, ingest as much literature on the topic as they can, and figure out what type of management structure works for their organization. The bottom line is there's no dead on right answer. It it, it really depends. Uh, could it almost be a company by company analysis or basis? Because what may work for one company, obviously be a little bit different within the overall corporate structure which we're all familiar with yeah absolutely and and again we can tie it back to the stakeholders how, what do your stakeholders want to see how do they want to see it and how can you set up your organization to be able to give that data and information to them in the most non-intrusive to you running a company but beneficial to them the stakeholders way so people need to you know take an honest look in the mirror think about the resources they have think about the expertise they have on staff think about the tools technology and otherwise they have to aggregate and, and manage and report and improve on these metrics um, and just see what makes sense for them. And no reason to put it in stone, right? You can write this structure in pencil and adjust as you go. Trevor, unfortunately, we are near the end of our time for this episode. But before we leave, I wanted to ask you if our audiences wanted more information on yourself, Intellex, or really any of the topics we've touched on, what might be the best place or places for them to go? Yeah, absolutely. Thank you, Tom. Shame to hear we've run out of time because I could go for another two, three hours easy. Um, we, uh, yeah, if you want to find out more information about me, you can find me on LinkedIn at Trevor Bronson. You'll see my title as uh, Director of Portfolio Strategy and Intellects. Feel free to connect with me and ask me any questions you'd like. I'm, I'm happy to answer, happy to talk about the stuff that wasn't obvious already. And for Intellects, you can go to intellects.com to look at our company, look at our solutions. Please visit our ESG page amongst our other pages to see what we're offering there. Visit our partnerships page. I've talked about some of our partners today. And uh, if you feel like we might be able to provide some value to your organization, which I'm sure we can, please reach out and I'd love to start the conversation. Trevor, I wanted to thank you again for taking the time to visit with me and I hope we can continue this conversation. This is Tom Fox again. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the ESG Report. If you've enjoyed this episode, I hope you'll subscribe, rate and review this podcast wherever great podcasts are listened to. The ESG Report is a part of the award-winning Compliance Podcast Network. If you'd like to be a part of the network, please give me a shout at tfox at tfoxlaw.com. This is Tom Fox. Hope you look forward to the next episode of the ESG Report.